each of us. Luke chapter 12 in your Bibles this morning. Luke chapter 12, we're going to begin and end the sermon in this passage. And so um, we'll stray from it early on in the message, but hold your place there. We'll make our way back. And we're continuing our series on stewardship. The title of our series is A Faithful Steward. Faithful Steward. God has called us to be stewards, His stewards, and be faithful ones at that. Once you've found Luke 12, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to do so, that would be appreciated. And we'll read from verse 41 down through verse number 44. I'll begin in 41, we'll begin together in 42, and then continue with that pattern down through the end of 44. The Bible says in 41, Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? Together, 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. We're uh, looking at this idea of being a faithful steward, and our sermon title this morning is this, The Management of a Steward. The Management of a Steward. We've looked at the meaning, the mindset. Today's sermon is critical in this series. In fact, I would say it's as important as any sermon I'll preach. It's going to give you the practical on how to be a steward for the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, help us this morning to be focused in on what your word says. And Lord, help us to take the truths that are covered and taught. And Lord, help us to be obedient. Lord, my prayer is that each of us would be pliable in your hand. May we not be stubborn. Lord, uh, oftentimes with stubbornness, it, it requires breaking and pain. We don't want you to have to break us to get us to submit. And so, Lord, help us to be pliable and tender. And Lord, where you reveal something in our lives that needs to change so that we can better serve you and better please you and the Lord have a better quality of Christian life, may we be quick and willing to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to begin the sermon this morning with a joke. And as a total disclaimer, I got this joke from my father. And I know many of you don't know my father, but he is known for telling corny jokes. Telling corny jokes. How many of you like a good corny joke? All right. Well, good. You're in for a treat. Uh, oftentimes, my dad was a Christian school administrator for 35 years, and he would tell his corny jokes to high schoolers, and he would get nothing but groans and moans, and they would throw their proverbial tomatoes his direction. Uh, but of all the jokes my dad has told, I would put this one in the top 10% of, of funny. So this one actually has a chance here, okay? I would put this joke in line with maybe something you'd see in the magazine as a Dilbert joke. You all familiar with Dilbert this morning? You know the Dilbert jokes. And so um, uh, here it goes. A man is flying in a hot air balloon and realizes he is lost. He spots a man uh, down below and lowers the balloon to shout. He says, excuse me, can you help me? He says, I promised my friend I would meet him half an hour ago and I don't know where I am. The man below uh, uh, takes a moment and assesses the situation and he looks up at the man in the hot air balloon. He says, yes. He says, you are in a hot air balloon. You are hovering approximately 30 feet above the ground. You are between 40 and 42 degrees north latitude and between 58 and 60 degrees west latitude. The man in the hot air balloon gets really upset, begins to cuss at the man and yell at the man and berate the man and belittle the man. And at the very end of his belittling and his berating, he looks at the man in his temperance rage and he says, you must be an engineer. The man on the ground says, well, actually I am. How did you know that? And the man in the balloon says, well... Uh, everything you have told me is technically correct, but I have no idea what to make of your information. And the fact is, I am still lost. <laughs> the, um, the man on the ground looks up at the man in the balloon and says, Well, you guessed my profession. Now it's my turn to guess yours. He says, You must be a manager. And the, the man in the balloon says, Well, actually I am. How did you know that? Well, says the man on the ground, he says, you don't know where you are or where you are going. You have made a promise which you have no idea how to keep, and you expect me to solve your problems. 
He says, the fact is, you are in the exact same position you were in before we met, but now somehow it's my fault. How many here have ever been frustrated with a manager at work? Amen? And uh, managers like to shift blame and blame everyone else. The truth is, managers are important. And if I were uh, running a large company and I needed a manager to help me oversee employees, I would bring in uh, folks as potential hires, and there would be some things I would want them to be able to do. There are some qualities I would expect them to have. And so in preparation for this message, I sat down and I came up with a list of uh, qualities that a good manager has. And here's what I came up with. Not that this is a complete list, but I believe if you find someone that does all these things well, they're probably going to be a good fit in any company. Uh, A good manager understands the objective. A good manager understands the objective. They, They know what needs to get done. Uh, How many of you at your place of employment, there is a mission statement? There's a mission statement, okay? A good place of employment has a mission statement. And the goal, the objective of the manager is to know the mission statement and get that accomplished. A good manager is both a follower and a leader. When I was looking up articles this week on good managers, I was amazed that there are as many uh, articles out there on how to manage your boss as there is on how to manage the employees that work for you. And knowing how to manage your boss's expectations is a good part of being a good manager. But a good manager knows how to follow the leader above him, follow the boss above him, and he knows how to lead those below him. And boy, finding someone that is good at both can be difficult. A good manager is a hard worker. I was at a church member's house this week, and one of the uh, uh, folks sitting there at the at the dining room table uh, is in management. And so I was picking this person's brain because I knew what I was preaching this week, and I said, tell me the qualities of a good manager. And this person shot back and said, a good manager has to be willing to get their hands dirty. If a good manager isn't willing to get down on the level of the employees and do the dirtiest and grimiest of jobs, uh, then that manager is going to have a hard time with credibility telling others to do that work. And uh, the, um, the spouse of that person spoke up and said, yeah, you know, if I expect my employee to crawl into a crawl space, I better be willing to, at times, crawl in that crawl space. I better be willing to get my hands dirty. I better be willing to do the most menial of tasks if that's what it takes to get things done. So a good manager is a hard worker. A good manager is an excellent communicator. How many of you ever worked for someone that wasn't a good communicator and when they had a problem with your work, they took a passive-aggressive approach? They just started being mean to you, maybe mistreating you, and you could feel there's this grudge growing between you and the manager, and you're having a hard time getting them to tell you what the problem is. A good manager needs to be an excellent communicator. A good manager is a problem solver. and Instead of looking for a problem, they look for a solution. A good manager avoids using or avoids accepting bad excuses, and a good manager is foresightful. A good manager sees potential in people. A good manager is cautiously optimistic. How many of you agree that if you find someone that's good at all these things, you found a pretty good manager? Amen? This would be a good... You guys awake this morning? All right. Don't be afraid to participate. Now, the 830 crowd was alive and awake and alert and interacting, and you all have gone to sleep on me. So you can't let the 830 crowd do you. They've got a bad reputation, and you've got to outdo them. Amen? All right. So uh, uh, be with me this morning here. So uh, when I was sitting down to put this together, um, I've, in the past I've, I've, put, you know, I've put lots of sermons together. Sometimes, as a preacher, you get writer's block. You get writer's block. How many remember back to your school days? When you had to put a thesis or an essay or a paper together and you got writer's block. This is your chance to participate. Amen? <laughs> Raise your hand even if you didn't. No, I'm kidding. Um, and so then finally I got past the writer's block and, and then, boy, I just I, I came up with loads of material. And then I had to work to kind of cut things back and uh, get things to a place where it was manageable because it was just a a mountain of information. So my goal this morning is not to preach a long time, but it is to give you the practical side of how to be a manager, how to be a good steward. Now, if you have been here the last two weeks, I took the time to explain what uh, being a steward means 
and the mindset of a steward. And so if uh, you're watching online or you happen to be in here this morning and you weren't here the last two weeks, let me just recap the whole concept in just a sentence. The, I, could, I can put the whole sermon from the last two weeks, both sermons in the last two weeks, into a sentence. And here it is. Here it is. Everything that I have is property of God. Everything. Every relationship I have. Every dime in my pocket or in my bank account, uh, every material good that I own, my job belongs to God. Everything I have is property of God. Everything that I have, I will give an account to God for one day. God's going to hold me accountable for how I handle those resources one day. When I uh, was young, I got a job at a company called Averett Express. It's like a FedEx freight type uh, place. And I remember I started working that job, and I was very naive uh, to the whole freight industry. And they had these blue pallets called CHEP pallets, and on them they said, property of CHEP, property of CHEP. And I remember thinking, are we leasing these pallets? I learned later that all the pallets that are made by CHEP say that. How many of you have ever seen someone wearing a shirt that says, property of, and then it has a sports team on it? Christian, when you got saved, everything that you own, everything that you have, God, uh, in essence, inscribed on there, property of God. Property of God. It comes with the territory of being saved. Now, it's all His, but He leaves it in our control, and He's going to one day bring us in front of Him at the judgment seat of Christ, and we are going to give an account to Him for every material good we've owned, every relationship we've had, uh, all of our thoughts, everything, all of the words that we speak, uh, the air that we breathe, one day we're going to give an account of it to God. The question this morning is this, Are you a good manager with the things that God has left and the people God has left for you? You see, a lot of the reading I did this week on management dealt with how to manage people. How to manage people. Please hear me. How to manage people. The truth is, a lot of what I read wasn't applicable to the message today. Because before you can ever manage people for God, you must first learn to manage yourself. Self-management is lacking in Christians today. Self-management. You see, God is not going to entrust you to lead people until you've first shown Him that you know how to lead yourself. You know how to lead yourself. Self-management. And uh, my friend today, what I want to encourage you with is this thought of, do I know how to manage the relationships and the things That God has given me. None of it is mine. All of it is His. Do I know how to manage that with God in mind? If God were to come down at any given moment and look at a financial transaction that I was making, whether big or small, would I be able to look God in the eye and say, I know you're okay with this? If God were able to drop in on any conversation I had with a loved one or a friend at any given moment, if He were to drop in at that moment, would I be able to look Him in the eye and say, I'm managing this relationship in a way that pleases you. God were to look down on my eating habits. If God were to look down on uh, uh, all of uh, the places I go and the people I interact with and even the job I work and the schedule I keep and my future plans for myself, would I be able to look God in the eye and say, I know the way I'm managing these things pleases you. Now, as I have preached through this series, many of you have listened and you have, in theory, agreed with my message. But you maybe have been left asking this question, Pastor, how do I apply it to my everyday living? How do I take the way I have been living living, and get it in line with the way the Lord wants me to live? And so the sermon today is going to be very, very heavy with points of practicality. I encourage you to take copious notes as we preach this morning. Notice a four, Let's notice four attributes of a faithful steward as we consider this topic, the management of a steward. Attribute number one this morning is this, the steward's plan. The steward's plan. Boy, if you're going to be a good steward of the resources that God has given you, if you're going to be a faithful steward, if you're going to be a steward that manages well, you better have 
a plan. Letter A, notice, he establishes a vision. Now, my um, subpoints are all masculine today. To the ladies in the room, I encourage you to put an S in front of the H and turn that into a she. So it's applicable to you. Amen? Uh, and so he establishes a vision. Take your Bibles and turn over to Second Chronicles chapter number 2. Chronicles is in the Old Testament. And I told the uh, church this morning, if uh, you struggle with with finding books in the Bible, we have many of you that are newer to church and newer to the Bible, and getting around the Bible is a task. And I have you turn to a passage, and it's a little bit confusing because there's 66 of them, and you don't know the order per se. And I just say, hang in there. It's okay. I remember being a 10 or 11-year-old boy, and I was sitting in church, and the pastor said, turn to Second Chronicles, and I turned to Second Corinthians. And uh, he started reading, and I was at the chapter and verse, and it just didn't make sense. And so I checked again, and I double-checked, I triple-checked, and I just couldn't figure it out. And I looked over at my brother, who uh, is smarter than me, uh, has a higher IQ than I do, and, uh, and he was following along with the preacher. And I thought, what am I not doing right here? And he, he looked over at me and he said, you're in the New Testament. You're in the New Testament. Oh, Chronicles is in the Old Testament. So if you get a little confused in there, don't be embarrassed by that. Uh, we've all been there before, and uh, you just stay at it. Second Chronicles chapter 2. Here in this uh, chapter, we find Solomon. He's new to being king over Israel, and uh, he has determined in his heart that he's going to build a temple for God. He established a vision. Look at uh, uh, verse 1 there. It says, And Solomon determined to build an house for the name of the Lord and in house for his kingdom. You see, for a steward to be a good steward, he must know what it is he's trying to accomplish. You see, you go from having a dream to having a vision, and from a vision to a plan, and from a plan, you've got to put feet to it. Boy, I've met a lot of people who are visionaries, but they go nowhere in life. They've got great, grand, uh, uh, great dreams of grandeur. And they're going to accomplish great things in their life. And they never go anywhere because it all stays in the, in the, in the uh, ideal world, but they never even put it, and they never put uh, feet to the, to, the, to the vision there, to the plan. But then can I tell you what is true for most Christians? When it comes to their Christian living, they don't even have a plan. They don't have a plan. Let me ask you a question, Christian. What is your plan? To manage the things of God that he's left in your control. What are you trying to accomplish? Do you know? If the cat's got your tongue or you're left stuttering, can I tell you that you cannot be a good steward for God until you know what it is he's left you here on earth to do? You, you can't. Many Christians can't get out of the gate because they don't even know the direction they're heading. They don't know where they're going. And I have to say here, before we can talk about whether or not you execute a plan, you need to first establish one. Establish a vision. Now back in Matthew 25, where we were the last two weeks, Jesus begins that parable, and I believe that parable was written directly to church-age saints. And I can't get into all of the technical reasons why I believe that. But I am as convinced as I am standing here that that's who it was written to. Jesus opens that parable by saying this. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. The kingdom of heaven. Christian, what is your objective? What should be your objective? It should be to look first at establishing the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not going to go back and re-preach last week's sermon on Mindset. But many people can't establish that kingdom because they're too busy establishing their own kingdom. And Christian, we must establish a vision. We must establish a vision. Here Solomon, he inherited his father's wealth. His father had accrued great wealth, King David, and he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And God said to him, no, you're a man of battle. You have bloody hands from all of the battles and wars that you fought. I'm going to allow your son to be king, and I'm going to bring great a domestic peace onto your country, international peace to your country, and I'm going to have your son who will never fight a battle. I'm going to have him build me a temple. David accrued great wealth. He set the wealth to the side. David Solomon came in and inherited the wealth, and he managed to use that wealth 
to build a great temple, but before he could, he had to determine what it was he was going to do. Letter B, notice, he executes a plan. Speaking of a steward, attribute number one, the steward's plan, notice that he executes a plan. Look at verse number two of Second Chronicles 2, and let's read down through verse number 10. The Bible says, And Solomon told out three score and ten thousand men, that's ninety thousand, to bear burdens. These are manual labors. And fourscore or eighty thousand to hew in the mountain. These would be uh, people who are trade laborers. And three thousand and six hundred to oversee them. These are managers. And Solomon sent to Huram, the king of Tyre, saying, uh, As thou didst deal with David my father, and didst send him cedars to build him a house to dwell therein, even so deal with me. Behold, I uh, I build in house to the name of the Lord my God, to dedicate it to him, and to burn before him sweet incense, and for the continual showbread, and for the burnt offering morning and evening on the Sabbaths, and on the new moons, and on the solemn feasts of the Lord our God. This is uh, an ordinance forever to Israel, and the house which I build is great, for great is our God above all gods. But who is able to build him in house, seeing the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build him in house, save only to burn sacrifice before him? Send me now therefore a man cunning. Uh, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in iron and in purple and crimson and blue and that can uh, skill to grave with the cunning men that are with uh, me in Judah and in Jerusalem whom David my father did provide. Send me also cedar trees, fir trees and algum trees out of Lebanon for I know that thy servants can skill to cut uh, timber in Lebanon and build my servants uh, and behold my servants shall be with thy servants even to prepare me timber in abundance for the house which I am about to build shall be wonderful great I love those two words together and behold I will give to thy servant the hewers that cut timber 20,000 measures of beaten wheat and 20,000 measures of barley and 20,000 baths of wine and 20,000 baths of oil you see how he is executing a plan here he says I need to hire me 90,000 manual laborers I need 80,000 trade workers I need managers to oversee them, and then I need to hire a specialist out of another country to come in to make this temple the greatest building that's ever been built. I need the finest of materials from around the world. Uh, he, this man, Solomon, he set his sights on what he wanted to accomplish, and he stayed after it till he got it done. A good steward first knows what he wants to accomplish, and then number two, stays at it till it's done. Attribute number one of one who manages as a faithful steward, we see the steward's plan. At number two, notice the steward's priority. The steward's priority. Now, what I mean by priority is that the steward is single-minded. He knows how to prioritize and eliminate. Prioritize and eliminate. We had someone uh, come in uh, where I taught school one time and do an in-service training session, and he was talking about how to get a lot done in your day and how to uh, accomplish much. And he said, you must learn how to prioritize the most important things you need to do for the day and eliminate rest. You know what that is? That's staying single-minded. But, you know, I can sit down each morning, as I do many mornings, and I can make myself a to-do list, and I can get them in the order of which they need to get done, and I can have the best plan. But if I'm not willing to work hard, that is nothing more than just a piece of paper. And, you know, we are lacking in this country today, especially in our younger generation. When I say younger, I mean people my age and down. We are lacking hard workers. Hard work is becoming a relic of the past. People need breaks and more breaks and more breaks. And people start out their day with a coffee break. And they take one an hour in and three hours in and four hours in. And, 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 you know, they they need uh, extra vacation time every year. Listen, we just have to get back to old-fashioned work. And in my notes, in parentheses next to the steward's priority, I have this written. Capital W, capital O, capital R, capital K. I know it's a dirty four-letter word, and I'm not supposed to cuss from behind the pulpit, but we need work. You can't get the work of the Lord done if you're going to sit on the sidelines. You can't get the work of the Lord done if you're distracted doing everything else. We must put our sights on what it is God's left us here to do, and we've got to get to work. Many people today don't know how to work. 
Letter A notice, he works with clarity. He works with clarity. Take your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would, with me. Ephesians chapter 5, and um, that's about halfway through the New Testament there. Ephesians chapter 5, and look with me at verse number 15. He works with clarity. He knows what it is. He's prioritized. He's come up with a list of what he wants to get done. And he, he knows um, uh, what, what is the good things to work on and what are the great things to work on. He's not just being busy. He's working and he's getting something accomplished. He's getting something accomplished. Look at verse 15. It says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now that word circumspectly is not a word you hear every day. In fact, outside of church, I've never heard anyone use the word circumspectly. You're not having a conversation with someone at work and they just drop that word on you, okay? Um, in fact, that's a word most people don't really even know what it means. And I remember growing up in church, I'd hear this verse get read or preached on and I'd think, what does that even mean? And um, I heard a preacher preach one time, I was an adult before I really got a good grasp on this, and instead of attempting to define it, he described it. And I love the way he described circumspectly. He said, imagine that you are a cat walking on a privacy fence that's 10 feet tall. And you have dogs, pit bulls on both sides of that privacy fence, jumping up and yelping, at the bo- nipping at the bottom of your feet. He said, the way you walk on that fence, the way that cat walks on that fence, he walks circumspectly. I think that's a pretty good way of describing it. There's great clarity and great foresight and great thought as to where that next step's going to be and how balanced that step is going to be. Amen? We've got to work with clarity. You know, for many Christians, the reason why they don't get a lot done for the Lord isn't because they don't want to. It's because they're disorganized. They're disorganized. Their life is filled with distractions that take them off course. One of the things I wrote down when I was going through the Bible on management, I wrote down the word structure. And I think that fits right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40 says, Let all things, if you know the verse, say it with me here, let all things be done decently and in order. God is a God of order. Satan is a being of disorder and confusion. Many of us, we can't do much for God because there isn't real clarity to our daily schedule and our daily lives. You know, I'm amazed as I deal with people and I deal with people for a living, I'm amazed at how some people always seem to be in an emergency. You know what I mean? And uh, what happens is they don't plan, they don't prepare, or they just don't work very hard. And then they find that they're in big trouble. Pastor, help me with my mortgage. Pastor, pay my light bill. Pastor, pray for me that I get a car. Pastor, this. Listen, we all hit financial lows sometimes. And if you hit a financial low and you need help and you're really uh, working hard and you've just had a a bad run of luck or, or, or things have just happened in your life and you need help, by all means reach out. I'm not meaning to put anyone down that's ever asked for help at times. And listen, we want you to reach out for help if you need it. But some people reach out and 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 reach out. And the reason is they've got no structure in their life. And then what they do is they blame everything else and everyone else for their problems. Everything else and everyone else. My friend, we must work with clarity. Many people, they're so busy being successful at life that they are a failure in the kingdom of God because they lack clarity. They lack eternal clarity. Boy, if I could tell you that you, you, could, uh, uh, you, you could have a million dollars in a bank account for one day, or, or, or let me back up, you could have $10 million in a bank account for one day, or you could have $1 million in a bank account for, for, for the foreseeable future with no time limit, which one would you take? $10 million that disappears after one day, or $1 million that you get to keep the rest of your life, how many are going with the second option? The rest of you aren't very smart, Amen. Now, once that $10 million, you don't get to spend it. You get to use it, but it's gone after that first day. Many people are too busy focused on their life and their wealth in life, and they're going to be bankrupt when they get to heaven because they're too busy 
worried about the here and now. Listen, you're going to get into heaven and be there for a million years, ten million years, and your life on earth is going to be a cup of coffee. But I have to have a great quality cup of coffee. I've got to have a great quality life. Your eternal life is not going to be so great. You'll be in heaven and you'll have a good time. It'll be blissful. It'll be wonderful. But boy, that judgment seat's going to be rough. We need to work with clarity. Let her be. Notice, he works with urgency. He works with urgency. Ephesians 5, look at verse 16. It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. He works with urgency. Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. He doesn't waste a minute. He doesn't waste a second. She's after it. Day in, day out. Thinking and realizing that the day of the Lord can come back at any moment. John chapter 9 verse 4. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. I must work the works of him that sent me. You know, I oftentimes wonder what I'm going to be doing when Jesus comes back. And I'm raptured. This is assuming I'm, uh, that he comes back in my lifetime. Or I wonder what I'll be doing if, if I were to drop dead of a heart attack, what I would be doing in that moment. And, you know, I wonder if Jesus were to come back, would I just be uh, uh, just leisurely laying on the couch, watching TV when Jesus came come back? You know, I, I do watch some TV. That's a possibility. You know, would I be yelling at my wife or my kids? I sure would hate for Jesus to come back while I was yelling at my wife or my kids. I sure would hate for Jesus to come back while I took a moment to look with lust or covet after something. I sure would hate for Jesus to come back while I was being lazy. You know, I'd love for Jesus to come back while I was investing in my family. I'd love for Jesus to come back while I was being kind to a friend who was going through a hard time. I'd love for Jesus to come back while I was leading someone to Christ. You know, I have to say, my favorite thing to be doing while Jesus would be coming back, and I'm changing my answer from the 830 service, my, my favorite thing would be if I got to lead someone to Christ and they prayed the prayer received Christ, and right after they finished praying the prayer, Jesus came back, that would be pretty spectacular. <laughs> but my second favorite thing to be doing if Jesus were to come back would be to be preaching. I'd love to be in the building with my, my church family and, and, and preaching the Word of God. Boy, it would be great if Jesus would just come back right now. Amen? We need to work with urgency because we don't know the day or the hour. I look at uh, the news, and I don't watch a lot of news because it gets, me, it gets me down in the dumps. It gets me discouraged. It makes me want to fight. Amen? And so I, I, I have to tune a lot of that out, and I encourage you to do the same. Don't let the cable news run on your TV 24-7. That just isn't healthy. Uh, learn when to turn it off. Learn how to turn it off. Uh, but I, I tune in and watch a little bit of news here and there, and and, um, you know, I've, I've been noticing that there have been some peace treaties going on in the Middle East. How many of you have been catching that? If you haven't been, there's been two peace treaties between Israel and countries who wanted nothing to do with them just this month. Now, could those deals fall apart tomorrow? They could. They could. Are they fragile? Sure, they're fragile. Does it necessarily mean Jesus is coming back soon? It doesn't necessarily mean that. But, boy, it sure looks that way. Sure looks that way. There are other countries getting in line to, to sign peace treaties with Israel as well. And we know from studying the Bible, we know from end times that there will be peace in the Middle East leading into the tribulation period. And I'm not calling Donald Trump the Antichrist, but I will say it's amazing what's happening. It's amazing what's coming about. And I have to tell you that my radar uh, is, is going off. Uh, that, 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 that I, I believe that Jesus could come back at any moment. And I want to be doing His work when He comes back. I don't want to be busy building my kingdom, I want to be busy building His kingdom. Amen? We must work with urgency. Let her see. He works diligently. He works diligently. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Um, how many of you know that, that co-worker? Hopefully this isn't you. How many you know that co-worker at work? They only work really hard when the boss shows up and is looking right over their shoulder. Uh-huh. Some of you said, someone said, my kids. They only work hard when someone, the boss is looking right over their shoulder. The Bible tells us that we're not to serve with eye service as men-pleasers. And this idea here is that, look, you're to work to please the Lord. You're not to work to please a man. Some of you show up and you vacuum carpets around here. Thank you. Mop a floor. Thank you. Some of you show up and you work on the bus route. Praise God. 
you're investing in the lives of the uh, unfortunate and those who are economically um, uh, challenged and you're reaching into broken communities and you're showing them the love of Jesus, praise the Lord for that. Uh, some of you uh, uh, help usher or you're a deacon or uh, you serve on the church staff here. And others of you have other ways. You help in the nursery. Other ways that you serve the Lord here. Others of you just put offering in the offering plate and you show up and give me somebody to preach to. And I'm thankful for that as well. Can I tell you that you, you shouldn't ever do any of those things to please a human being. You do them to please the Lord Jesus Christ. You work diligently. And you know what? Uh, it's possible that if you mop a floor, that you can do it good enough to please me, but not do it good enough to please the Lord. It's possible that if you put offering in the offering plate, boy, the treasurer will look at that offering and say, wow, that, that he's given quite a bit. It's possible to please the treasurer, but not please the Lord. It's possible for you to work a bus route and do it in a way that pleases uh, uh, the bus captain or the pastor but doesn't please the Lord. We're to work diligently because, listen, you're not working for the approval of man and the acceptance of man. You're working so that one day you can step in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords who loved you and saved you and bought you with His own blood and then gave you everything you have and, and gave it to you as a steward. You can look Him in the eye and said, I worked with clarity. I worked with urgency. And I worked diligently. Attributes of a steward, a steward who manages faithfully. We see that the steward, the steward's plan, the steward's priority. Number three, notice, we see the steward's prudence. The steward's prudence. Quickly here, notice, letter A, he is foresightful. Foresightful. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3 says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Luke chapter 14. Can you turn over to Luke chapter 14 for me in your Bible? Luke 14. We're going to be in Luke 14 and then in 16 right behind that. So please do turn over there for me. Luke is, is the third book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, Luke 14. Uh, while you're finding that your way there, a prudent man, a prudent man is someone who is able to uh, foresee and plan and be prepared for worst-case scenario. He is measured in his approach. A prudent man or a prudent woman is someone who uh, has a great amount of meekness and temperance and uh, doesn't uh, let themselves uh, be on, on extremes emotionally. Uh, a prudent person uh, uh, is looking out not only for their own good, but the good of others. Luke chapter 14, verse 28 says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. What's it saying here? You're prudent. You're not going to build a building and then just stop halfway. And I'll just interject this really quick. Over on Bridgeport Ave in Shelton, there's a, a, a shopping complex that they started working on, I don't know, a year and a half ago. And they reached a point and they just stopped building. And I have to tell you, I am devastated. You say, why are you devastated? Because they're supposed to be putting a Chick-fil-A in there. <laughs> and I'm like, come on! Will you get it done already? Somebody didn't count the cost. They just stopped. And that whole building complex, and look, I don't pretend to know the details. I don't know the reason why, and maybe someone here does, but it appears to me from the outside that somebody didn't count the cost before they started that project. It went bankrupt. Say, I was right. Amen. You know... Um, and I know you're disappointed, Mike, because they're putting a new Panera over there. And that's your place to study the Bible. Amen? Uh, but, um, uh, you know, um, we're to be foresightful. We're to plan. We're to foresee the evil coming. We're to, we're to know what we have. Let, let, notice letter B, financially responsible. The steward's prudence. Notice that this person is financially responsible. Turn over to Luke chapter 16 and verse number 11. Luke 16 and verse number 11. I'm, I, I hasten here. The Bible says, If therefore ye have not been faithful uh, in the unrighteous mammon, or unrighteous money, secular money, who, uh, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Alright, uh, let's look at that verse again. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you, your trust the true riches? This is a person who is financially responsible. Let's see, I need a man who can help me out here. Brother John, you mind running up here and help me out real quick? Brother John Sanchez is going to come up here and, uh, and give me a hand. 
Um, uh, while he's coming up, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22 says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. And so someone who is prudent is someone who does not just live within their means, they live below their means. They live below their means. Come on over here, Brother John. Get, here, get up close so we can both be on the live stream. I want you to imagine that I walk up to you today. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and do this. And I say, you know what? I just am feeling generous this morning, Brother John. I'm going to give you some money. Is, are you okay with that? Yeah. You have any objections to that? Okay, very good. Well, here, I'll put your hand out there for me. All right, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars, and that's yours. Now I made the eight thirty guy give it back so I could give it to you at eleven. Okay, but I'm actually going to let you keep that. All right? Did, were you expecting me to give you ten dollars today? Did you wake up this morning thinking, I bet pastor's going to call me on the platform and give me 10 $1 bills? Okay, so this wasn't pre-planned. You know what? I, actually, I forgot. I'm planning on getting my, my, uh, my wife some chocolate on the way home. Is she in here? Plug your ears. Okay. I'm planning on getting my wife some chocolate on the way home. And so uh, could I have a dollar back? Because I'd like to, to do that for her. Would that be okay if I got one of those dollars back? Sure. Would that be all right? Hey, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know... He has no problem giving me a dollar back because he wasn't expecting the ten to begin with. You all with me this morning? You see the application? Many people want to squeeze their money as though it's theirs. And God says, every single dollar you earn, I gave you. Say, but I earned it. Okay, who gave you the strength to earn the money? Who gave you the air to breathe? At any moment, he can just quit letting you breathe. He can take his air from your lungs. Now go earn money. See how that works out for you. It's his. And if he bought you with his blood, he gave it to you. And he says, don't you, don't you white-knuckle my money. Now that nine still belongs to the Lord. And he's going to ask us to give an account of how we spent it one day. But up front, he asks for a portion of it back so that the work of God can move forward. There you go. I'll let you have that. Go ahead. You can be seated. Thank you. It's all yours. All right. <laughs> I guess in the four years I've been the pastor here, I've gotten a little bit more bold in preaching on this topic. But I, I want to say something here that I hope you'll, you'll listen to. White Oak Baptist Church, we, have, we are a strong church. In fact, um, I, I believe, uh, by the grace of God, from a numbers and money standpoint, we are as strong of an independent Baptist church that, as there is in all of southern Connecticut, definitely in the area. And praise God for that. To God be the glory. It's His church. Amen? But can I tell you something? This church is not even coming close to reaching its potential. You say, well, pastor, why doesn't our church grow? Why don't we see more people come in the door? Now, I'll, I'll take a little bit of ownership of it. I, I am constantly working to grow as a leader. I'm, I'm working to become a better preacher and pastor. We're looking to improve the facilities, and I believe we've done that. And to God be the glory for those things. We're working to get creative and have better programs that will help people get plugged in and stay. And the implementation of the discipleship and the Great Commission Saturday go a long way in helping that cause. But can I tell you the number one obstacle we have? To growth? We don't have the funds to grow. We don't have the funds to grow. And uh, the truth is, I don't look at who does the giving, so I don't know who, who needs to hear what I'm about to say. I mean that. If you give a lot around here, I don't know about it. If you don't walk up and tell me, and I don't want you to walk up and tell me. I, don't, I just don't know. I don't know who does the giving. I, I look at the spending of the money, and I get an overall view of what comes in each week. But as far as who does the individual giving, I don't know. But this much has been relayed to me that the majority of the giving at this church, and by the way, it's this way at most churches, the majority of the giving of this church is done by just a handful of people. Most folks don't give God what he asks for back because they're not financially responsible. You know, I, I look at it this way. For every dollar that comes in the plate, that gives us an opportunity to reach more souls. The more money that comes in these offering boxes, and back to the plates when we pass the, blake, uh, the plates, that's more money we have to be a bigger and better influence to the community. If Christians would just do their part, all Christians would do their part, 
boy, this, this, built, this property wouldn't be able to hold all the people that would come, all the people that we would reach. And I'm going to say this here. I know, the, I know what time it is. I know it's, it's, it's getting late. Uh, but look, uh, and, and so listen, hang with me. Hang with me. You don't have a problem watching a two-and-a-half-hour movie. All right, I'm not going to go two-and-a-half hours. You can sit and watch a three-hour football game this afternoon. Amen? You can hang tight for a few more minutes. And my favorite team plays at 1 o'clock, so I know it's okay. It'll be all right, okay? Hang with me. I'm preaching on money, and I'm meddling. And you want me to sit down and shut up so you can go spend your money on nachos and watch uh, football. Amen? But hang with me here, okay? Listen. God has called us to, to, to give to His work. And many Christians don't give to His work because they can't. And you know why they can't? Because they're busy paying Visa and MasterCard and the furniture company and the car company. They've overextended themselves financially because they are covetous. I've been guilty of it. Angela and I have been guilty of it. A missionary will get up here and preach and present his work and, boy, talk about the potential he has if he builds a building or gets their own building and says, we need to raise this much money to make it happen and I've reached in my pocket to give and there's nothing there. Because I've got to pay Visa and MasterCard and the furniture company and the car company. I've overextended myself. And, Christian, if we could learn to live under our means and live simple lifestyles and have money in the bank... Boy, guess what? When there's a need presented, we have no problem reaching in and saying, Lord, it's yours anyway. Here you go. Here you go. Christians are, by and large, not financially responsible. And it shows up in our covetousness. We violate that Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet. You know, it's not healthy to run your bank account to zero every, every, every paycheck. Some of you here don't have a choice. Some of you here are financially strapped and you're not wasting money and you're still hitting zero. But others of you in here, it doesn't matter if you made $120,000 a year, you'd still be out of money. Because your habits, your spending habits don't please the Lord. They're not healthy. You say, well, pastor, what do I do about it? Take that card we gave you and sign up for Christian Money Management and take Jim Owens' course. Amen? You'll be better off for it. There's a free plug for you, Brother Owens. Number four, fourth attribute. We've seen the steward's plan, the steward's priority, the steward's prudence. Number four, notice, the steward's principles. I'm not going to be labored. This is steward's principles. Letter A, notice, he lives by a principle of integrity. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor than silver or gold. Sometimes silver and gold. Sometimes you have to choose what's right over what makes you rich. Sometimes you it, you have to choose to be integritous instead of taking the shortcut to, to make money. And um, uh, I use this example this morning. Uh, you, you back out of your parking spot at Walmart and you hit a car, or you scrape the car next to you. You look around and no one sees you. Do you pull away or do you leave a note under their windshield wiper, letting them know? You say, but that'll make my insurance rates go up. That'll hit me in the pocketbook. Yeah, probably it will. Are you going to do what's right? Are you going to worry about, or are you going to worry about your reputation? Or are you going to worry about what, what's better for you financially? Principle of integrity. You cannot be a good steward of, of God if you're not going to do, do it the right way. Let her be noticed. Principle of obedience. Principle of obedience. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 through 14. We won't read the passage because of time. But Deuteronomy chapter 28, it tells us that if you will hearken diligently into the voice of the Lord your God and observe to do His commandments, uh, then in essence He's going to bless you in every single way. You know why? God blesses obedient Christians. You know, you'll get further with God... By, by giving what he tells you to give and living off the rest, then you will by holding on to all of it and disobeying him. It's amazing how bills that you didn't expect begin to pile up because God's saying, you're not going to give me what's mine. I'm going to take it from you one way or another. Boy, I've had car repairs come out of nowhere. I've gotten speeding tickets out of nowhere. 
You say, well, you were speeding. Yeah, I was, but I mean, I've sped on roads uh, for years and not gotten pulled over. And then when I didn't tithe, got pulled over and then, bam. I had one incident where the cost of the ticket was the exact, to the penny, the same amount as what I was supposed to put in the offering plate. It didn't happen recently, amen? This is when I, this is when I was in college. I'm giving, amen? I'm doing my part. We have to be obedient. have to be obedient. How pliable are you to obeying God? You see, you're talking about a God who has all the wealth of the world. All of the relational peace and happiness of the world He's in control of. And until we're willing to be obedient to Him, why should He bless us? Letter C. Notice lastly, the steward's principles. Notice principle of faithfulness. Go back to Luke chapter 12, verse 41. Boy, I want to hammer home this idea of being faithful. Our, 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 our series is entitled, A Faithful Steward. And boy, I want to make sure I take a moment of each message to address faithfulness. Look at verse 41. The Bible says, Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? Look down at verse 43. Blessed is that servant... Whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all he hath. One day we're going to stand before God in heaven. The saved will stand before God in heaven. Last week I told you that the lost will stand before God in heaven. And the question that will be asked of them is, what did you do with Jesus? For those that are saved, we'll stand before God in heaven. And God will look at us and will ask us this question, what did you do for Jesus? What did you do for Jesus? And if you're able to hand back to Him your relationships, you're able to hand back to Him your material goods, you're able to hand back to Him uh, your money, you're able to hand back to Him your time, and say, Lord, here's how I use my things, my relationships, my goods to build your kingdom. You know what He's going to do? He's going to look at you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Boy, that's what I want. That's what I want. I don't want to be guilty of having to look God in the eye and say, I built my kingdom, but I didn't build yours. How about it today, Christian? Are you managing your things as a steward? Let's bow our head and close our eyes for prayer. Will you take a moment right where you're at, Christian? Will you ask the Lord to show you some practical things that you can change effective immediately to help you to be the steward God's called you to be. If He hasn't already pointed those things out to you, ask Him to show you. If He has showed you, take a moment and commit to begin to make some practical changes. Lord, I pray You'd move in our hearts this morning. Help us to be stewards that are faithful. Lord, we pray that we get to heaven and we'd be walk into a, a room where there's just treasures that we have stored up as good people of this church. We've stored up treasures in heaven because we've been heaven-focused and not earth-focused. Lord, help us to have a mentality, a mindset of a steward. Lord, help us to understand what it is you've called us to do, and then, Lord, help us to go forth and do it. In Jesus' name we pray.